Someone told me this while I was in college and it stuck with me almost, what, 10, 15 years later. And it's this, is that life isn't pass and fail. It's learn and grow. And for me, that frames up a little bit about what we're doing today and next week during this mini sermon series called Leaders Are Learners. Each of you that are listening, you've probably already been told this because it's true. You have immense leadership potential. A lot of times people come to American University and Georgetown University already having prestigious internships, perhaps already starting a company or a nonprofit, and you've been pushed to the front of the class. You're the cream of the crop. And that's not a bad thing. But what I love about the gospel message is that it encourages us as leaders to always position ourselves as learners. And that actually helps us as leaders to not only pursue, but to sustain a legacy of leadership that leads to changed lives. Because as we're learning, as we're adapting, we can make a difference in various groups, in different people's lives, across different seasons of leadership. And so tonight, today, what I want to do is talk to you about a few things that I have learned from students over the years. It's been almost 10 years for me being a part of campus ministry here in DC. And it's not always been easy, but at the end of the day, I can say that I've truly loved it. And and I really believe that my time on campus hasn't just made me a better leader. I hope it has, but it has helped me to follow Jesus more closely. And so I want to share some stories and some phrases and some things that I've learned that I hope maybe you could learn alongside me. So the first lesson is this, is that people want to be a part of something. Especially in college, whether it's online or offline, pre-social media or with social media, it doesn't matter. We are designed for relationship and community as humanity, and that is never more truly expressed than those undergraduate years. I'm thinking of a story that kind of lives in the lore of discipleship culture at DC Chi Alpha, specifically at American University. I think of a student turned student leader who later continued to serve as a campus missionary. Her name was Allison, as first or second semester leader. Man, she, she was just so passionate about Jesus and what he had done in her own life and story, she became what we would jokingly call the bathroom evangelist. Now, she would live on campus in the dorms where there was shared group bathrooms, which that's already like, wow, she needed prayers for that. Not an experience I would wish even on my enemies. And in the bathroom, while she was brushing her teeth, while others were washing their face, she would strike up conversations. She would introduce herself and she would honestly invite people into her life group, invite people into her life. And I love how she did both of those things so well. She did it with traditional students and with international students. Students who got so engaged in in our community who got to work through our ministry, who could trace their story all the way back to the middle of the night, an early morning, an after-lunch bathroom encounter with Allison. So it was no surprise that her life group was full. It was no surprise that she was discipling others to reach and disciple others. See, here's the reality, is that people want to be a part of something, but many people 
haven't been given the opportunity. Many people haven't been invited or asked. And I I love how Allison just got to the heart of it in her own life. She would simply ask, do you want to come to my life group? Would you like to study the Bible together? Would you be interested in joining me for weekly worship? Can I introduce you to some of my friends on the quad? We're gathering to hang out before we head to retreat. Now, we, we just finished up the Easter season, although like we don't ever really finish Easter as followers of Jesus. But there's this interesting statistic that usually gets repeated around this time of year. And I think it was Tom Rainer and his research group that put it out. It's that 72% of Americans, and this is pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, would attend an Easter service at a local church if they were asked. Now, get that. That's 72% of people that wouldn't otherwise be planning to be a part of an Easter worship gathering. But when they are polled, they said, if someone personally invited us, we would be a part of it. See, people want to be a part of something, but very few people have been specifically pursued and intentionally asked. And Allison's story not only taught me that, but it serves as a reminder of what's possible. When we put down our fears, when we're willing to act foolish for just a moment, somebody's future with Jesus man, can become a reality in a life-giving relationship, all because we're willing to take a step of faith. Now, of course, I, I didn't ask Allison's permission to share that story, um, but that's okay. I'm sure she'll forgive me. It reminds me of Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running to the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Now, we're a little disconnected from um, Egyptian or Middle Eastern poetry four or five thousand years ago, and you may not care very much of the visual image of oil running down a beard. As a beard guy, I respect it. But what it's basically saying is it's painting this picture of luxury. It's painting this picture that the first hearers would have understood of beauty. It's painting a picture of this overwhelming sense of goodness, and it's saying that is what community looks like and feels like. Proverbs, which we've been reading as a community. We recently finished reading through all of it when we were doing our Lent plan together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and so one person sharpens another. One of my favorite things I like to say about this passage is that it's not usually fun to be sharpened by somebody else, but that moment of discomfort leads to a moment of growth. Amen. The the people that have challenged me the most, whether it's been students or mentors, strategic local church partners, or other staff, man, it may not be comfortable in the moment, but it has led to my growth. And I hope that you'll place yourself in a position of learner, a willingness to engage in discomfort so that you could be a better leader and a better learner and bless those around you to an even greater degree. Matthew 18, 20 says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus is talking about the spiritual realities of community, that the Spirit of God dwells 
in the community of believers when they gather with expectation and hope of him moving. They no longer have to go to a temple, to a tabernacle, but they do have to come together in order to experience God in a unique way. You've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again since we're towards the end of the semester. Man, your relationship with Jesus, it's, it's designed to be personal, but was never intended to be private. So here's a question that I have for us from this first lesson that I learned from Allison many, many years ago. It's probably when I was a, an intern or my first year on staff, probably, uh, with Chi Alpha and American. It's, are we inviting people into our lives? We realize it's someone's birthday in our Zoom class or someone's grieving a lost loved one that's in a group me, are we taking that opportunity not just to pray, but to reach out, to send a text, to message something in the chat, to ask if somebody's okay, to invite somebody into a conversation? Now, that may scare you, that may make you nervous, but can I be really honest? Man, you are here tonight because somebody invited you at some point. Somebody else in a sense, paid for your admission by paying the price of an awkward moment, by paying the price of potentially being rejected so that you could be invited into friendship, so that you could be invited into your life group and into this community. I mean, being a follower of Jesus is about experiencing blessing and then turning that into an opportunity to bless others. You were invited, so the question is, who are you going to invite, and not just invite to an event, not just invite to programming, that's good, but invite into your life. That's why I love what Allison did. She invited other women into her life and her life group. One of the other ways we say that in Chi Alpha is that we need to become skilled at investing and inviting, investing in people where they're at, and then inviting them on a journey of faith with us. All right, here we go. Here's the second lesson that I've learned from students over the years. And actually, this is a story that comes out of Georgetown, and it's more recent, a few years ago, and the student's name is Jonathan. Now, as a student, he would show up all the time. He would stay late to tear down. He would store stuff in his dorm. He would always volunteer. I can't think of a single time I prayed with Georgetown students or DC Chi Alpha staff at Georgetown where Jonathan wasn't a part of that picture. And get this, he'd be embarrassed that I'm saying this, but as an alum, I mean, he has kept campus ministry at the forefront of his mind by financially investing into the next generation of young men and women, specifically in Chi Alpha at Georgetown. Man, he has made discipleship and seen the campus as a unique opportunity. And that started in his undergrad years, but man, it hasn't even stopped. I'm thinking about Romans 12, 4 through 5 as I was really journaling through what I've learned from Jonathan. And it says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in body in Christ, and individually members of one of each other. Man, we're different. We're unique. It's not a call for uniformity. It's for unity amidst a beautiful diversity and this passage reminds us that the person who sits next to you, who sings next to you, who's in your life group that isn't anything like you, man, they not only need community, but our community needs them as much as it needs you. I think about John 6, right? We 
have just traveled through the Gospel of John and seen Jesus' life through the eyes of the beloved. And there's that story, that situation where there are people waiting to be fed spiritually, which they are, and then fed physically, and the disciples panic. They're like, even if we have years and years of wages and salary, not even everybody here, five to 10,000 would even get a bite. But there was a little boy with his lunch. Now, I, I want to honor the disciple that found the little boy, but I also want to honor the little boy who's like giving up his lunch because it was a little lunch when there was a crowd. But to this little boy, it was a pretty sizable lunch for himself. See, sometimes when you give, when you bless, your sacrifice might seem small to you. It might seem small to those around you. But I mean, you know that it might be a big deal and the Lord's ask you to give it and step in and see how he might multiply it. See, the disciples never stole this lunch from this little kid. This little kid, for some reason, felt, hey, there's a need, and I'm going to meet it. Now, he was giving up lunch for one boy. He had no idea that it would turn to lunch for over 5,000. But that's what happens when we're willing to give something of ourselves. Man, God might just use that and multiply it to reach and bless thousands. I think of the story in Acts 3.6. There is this friend experiencing homelessness and the disciples come up and they're asked to give money. And here's what happens. They say this. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. E. Scott Martin, the national director of Chi Alpha, shared uh, application on this when I was a young staff member. And he said this, he said, man, taking this seriously, man, when people ask, we should always give something. We should either give money. We should either give time and attention. We should give an opportunity for conversation. We should give a, a time to bless in prayer. Man, as believers, <laughs> we are never exempt from a request from an another person from another immortal being in the words of C.S. Lewis. And I love how Simon walks out. He said, we don't have any money, but what I do have, I give. I have the power of prayer, the gift of healing, and then he ends up walking. Let me tie this right back to our friend Jonathan. Did Jonathan have a big personality? No. Was he a charismatic dude? He was not. But he was kind, and he was faithful, and he made the community better. I think even those that graduated with him may be surprised that I would choose to pick his story because he was one of those guys that was faithful and stable but seemed to always be in the background. Yeah, he had positions of leadership and of volunteering, but he was one of those people who, I mean, old school Christians would call it like ministry of helps. Like he was just always helping. His name was never really attached to it. He never centered himself, but he was always helping others succeed, helping others get things done that they needed to get done. I think it's those type of people that make the kingdom of God as beautiful as it is. I think back to another old story. It's about Charles Finney, a great revivalist preacher. Thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus through his preaching indoors and outdoors many, many years ago. Like this guy is like old dead guy for sure. But I love when asked one time about the success of his services, he mentioned a woman who would go 
before him to every town and community and she would pray before he arrived. And, and he said, a lot of my spiritual success isn't in what I said, but in what she prayed. Behind every outward, large, charismatic move of God, and I mean like personality, not necessarily theologically. Man, there is somebody praying. There is somebody working administratively. Man, there is somebody who is doing the grunt work of making things a reality. And Jonathan was that person for years. I'm not even sure if Jonathan himself knows the impact that he's made and continues to make. But it did teach me a lesson. It taught me the lesson that we all have something to give. We all have something that we can offer. The problem is most of us want to contribute in a particular way for a particular reason and usually only if some type of outfront leadership is involved. But I'm so thankful that Jonathan had more maturity than that, had more maturity than I had when I was a student in Chi Alpha. So here's the question from this second lesson. Do we come ready to give and to share? I think about my wife, Hannah. She has in her purse, she's budgeted money, and she has in her purse change and dollar bills that she intentionally has prepared in advance to give away when somebody's asked for it. See, I, I love that as someone who's logical and rational and, and very financially astute, she's not using those things to dismiss people's need or the opportunity to live out Christian compassion. She's saying, no, I'm just going to plan for it and prepare for that. She even did that when we had very little extra funds. She said, I may not have much, but this I could give. When it comes to your involvement in Chi Alpha or in your local church, whether it's DC based or not, are, are, are we showing up consuming? Are we waiting to, to really involve ourselves until a title is given to us? Or are we adding value where we're at? I shared this with the life group that Daniel and I lead, the Literally Unlimited Bread Gang. Everybody should know that name by now. It's that, man, great life groups. My Chi Alpha director, Craig, taught me this. Great life groups happen not because of great leaders, but because of great members, great participants. So man, don't believe the lie that elite institutions and our culture and city try to tell you that it only matters if you're at the top of the ladder. It only matters if you have the title, the resume, and the business card. That is not true in the kingdom, and that is not true in life. Man, adding value, contributing is something that you can do regardless of where you're at in an organizational chart, regardless of whether you have a title or not. Man, you can show up ready, as Ephesians says, to stir up good deeds of love with one another. All right, here's the third, the third lesson that I've learned. Students that value discipleship sacrifice for it and commit to it. I think back to my own time in Chi Alpha at the University of Alabama, and I think of a young woman named Danielle. She showed up. She was invested she knew the community was broken and messy, and yet she knew that she could bring something of value and that she could also learn from imperfect people. What a thought. She could learn from people and she could grow. It doesn't mean that she chose to emulate everything she saw, but everything that she saw led her to become a better learner and a better leader. 
And what's really interesting is that she sacrificed for it then in undergrad, and she continues to sacrifice and commit to discipleship now. She was involved in a life group in Chi Alpha in, in, in college. She was involved in a local church. And then now she's leading at National Community Church, the church that I attend. She founded this nonprofit with some friends called Mission Reconcile that's addressing racial reconciliation in local churches from D.C. to New Orleans. And she is engaged in discipleship because she has a habit, a pattern, a history of recognizing its worth and then not just with words but with deeds committing to it, sacrificing for it. I think of all these things that different cultures and communities have and I pulled a few of them up. When deeds speak, words are nothing. That's an African proverb. Um, I think about um, this, a gentleman should be ashamed should his deeds not match his words. That's from Confucius. Another one from um, Epictetus, I don't even know how to say this Greek guy's name. To live a life of virtue, though, he says, match up your thoughts, words, and deeds. Every culture understands that words matter, but that they need to be aligned with deeds in order for our life to be a life of integrity. Uh, Swahili proverb says this, love has to be shown by deeds and not just by words. And this is a truth that also exists from the lips of Jesus in scripture. Back to the gospel of John 15, 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He doesn't say you are my friends if you listen. You're my friends if you take notes. You're my friends if you can repeat it back to me. You're my friends if you give me a retweet. No, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They're listening, right? Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but others doubted. Then Jesus came and he said this, this is at the end of his life, post-tomb, post-cross. He says this, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Get that. In order to ensure that God is with us always, we have to be doing what he's asked us to do. Do you see the condition of that? As we're going, as we're listening, as we're obeying, God says he'll be with us. Sometimes I felt disconnected from God in my own story because I've stopped being about his business. I've stopped doing the work. I've stopped showing up and I've wondered, where are you, God? And he said, man, I am busy pursuing people. How come you're not living on mission with me? anymore. If you feel distant from God, one of the things that could be causing that is that unintentionally your faith has become all about you and the Lord's asking you to have a faith perspective that would lead you to speak life and to pursue and live intentionally with others. That's why, you know, we, we learn the most when we're sharing what we learn with others. When we're teaching, we learn the most when we're training others in our own footsteps or role. All right, here's a bonus point. I'm sneaking it in there. Time is running down on the clock. It's, it's March Madness, right? Or it was. So here's the bonus point. I've learned that no student likes when I say this or even believes it, but it, it's still true. And so I think it has to be said. 
You'll never have more discretionary time in your adult life than during your undergrad years of college. Now, I'm not saying that all you're doing is watching Netflix and playing video games, and those things aren't bad. But what I am saying is that, man, this season of your life, you have, even if you have one, two jobs, this season of your life, your freedom is high, your responsibilities are low to mid. You have discretionary time. And I say that to say this, to think back to Danielle's story. See, she did not wait to commit and sacrifice and give up opportunities for other stuff to pursue discipleship until after college. Because if she would have waited, we'd still be waiting for her to engage. No, but she began to pay the price now. And when the price got steeper, when life became busier, when it was no longer classes, but career that were calling for her attention, she had already established years of discipline habit to prioritize Jesus, to prioritize his people, the church, and to prioritize not just consuming, but being a contributor, not just critiquing, but being someone that would cultivate a new future for the local church, and for the kingdom at large. Here's the question. Are we willing to take the mission of Jesus seriously by involving ourselves in it? Not by saying, I take it seriously, but by saying it with our lives. Are we willing to go from the messy pages of Scripture to the messy realities of our community, to the broken people on our campus, even in our own brokenness, and saying, this is what Jesus has done in me. This is what Jesus is doing in me. This is what Jesus would love to do for you. As I think back onto these lessons, things I've learned from Allison, from Jonathan, and from Danielle. Man, I, I hope that this has resonated with you in some way. One of those three things. That people want to be a part of something, but many people go uninvited. That everybody has something to contribute, but most of us, if we're honest, only want to contribute if we're up front. And that students that value discipleship will sacrifice for it, will commit to it. A community only becomes lovable when it has been loved deeply. And that's not something that I can do or the staff can do. That's something that you have to decide to do for your own life, for your own story, in your life group, and for this community, our community. Will we take these lessons from students who have gone before us, and will we steward this gift of community they've given us so that 5, 10, and 15 years down the road, someone else will be sitting in your shoes, taking the call of Jesus seriously, maybe for the first time, and man, what could God do on campus at American, at Georgetown, and beyond if we involved ourselves in the serious mission of Jesus, going with him, teaching, loving, baptizing, and training people to follow Jesus, not just on Sundays, not just on Thursdays, but every moment of their life. As we worship, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help to enlarge in your view of the role that you can play this semester and next in the life of our community.